Good morning, everyone. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask that you turn it to the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians, chapter 2. Pardon me while I get set up here real quick. Again, good morning. Uh, if this is your first time seeing me, I know we have a lot of people that have transitioned uh, here in the past few weeks. If this is your first time seeing me. My name is Jamin uh, here, and my wife, Lakin, who sits right here. Most times our connect group is, is all in this area here. We have some that are out today with um, uh, sickness and, and whatnot, but uh, we've been heart and soul here for three years um, and have enjoyed our time uh, at Connection. We're so glad that you guys are here this morning uh, as well. I hope that did everybody have a good Saturday. We start off with that. Everybody have a good Saturday. Yes, I did as well. Because anytime in the Heron household that Georgia does not win and Florida does not lose, it's a great Saturday. Okay, so uh, a kid aside, right? I have to give my I have to give my uh, Florida Georgia jokes in while I can because everybody around me is a Georgia fan. I'm still praying for salvations through those. Um, um, today we're continuing our series entitled. This is us. There you go. Cue on. Um, this is us. And no, if this is your first week with us, this is not talking about the hit NBC series that's on every week. Okay, we're talking about um, specific cultures of our church and what we believe. Um, Eric preached last week on evangelism, and you'll hear some of the same things that he said last week in the sermon today. And then as we continue with the next couple, um, generosity and community uh, over the next couple of weeks. There'll be a common theme um, that, that we uh, focus on and go through. So at Connection, we have the plumb line. If you look at it out there in the lobby, it's called Save People, Serve People. Save People, Serve People is something that um, you'll hear frequently uh, whenever Michael speaks. It's, it's a lot of the same, same language. We believe that because of what Christ has done for us. Because of what Christ has done for us, then we must in turn model that for the world to see. Today, though, I want us to dig a little bit deeper than the surface level. Because most of us, whenever we think of serving, we think of the blue and orange teams, which, by the way, are the best colors that you can have to put together. Uh, blue and orange teams, or production, or prayer team. Um, but I want to I dig a little deeper. Because as you'll come to understand, as you'll come to hear... Serving in the church is not the finish line. It's the starting point. And we need to understand that this is the basis in which we have to work. Right? Coming in and serving on Sundays is, is not something that, yes, I've checked the box. I've got my serving done for the week. No, this is the minimum requirement that we should do as a believer because of what has been done for us. And so today, as we dig in, I hope to look at some things that maybe we don't really consider being a servant of. And we can reframe our minds and focus and with the understanding that serving on Sundays is just the starting point. Okay? Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to operate out of Philippians 2. Uh, but last week, Eric said something that really is a, a big passion on my heart. Um, as I've stated before, whenever um, I get the opportunity to preach, I love the Old Testament. And I love seeing the gospel through the Old Testament. And so... Eric mentioned that we have a line that comes from Genesis, a thread, if you will, that comes from Genesis to Revelation that talks about the gospel, 
right? And so today I want us to look at the story of Joseph and the story in Philippians that Paul has to tell us in Philippians chapter 2. And at the end, I hope to marry them together and so that we can see that it's the same gospel in the end. All right, so and that'll be in Genesis chapter 50. So if you have your little tag or whatever you want to call that tassel in your Bible, you can put a little mark in Genesis chapter 50. The story of Joseph runs from 37 to 50, and so we'll be overviewing that as we go along. Most people, when they hear the story of Joseph, if you grew up in church, right, you've heard of his coat of many colors that we used to color in Sunday school and, and that kind of thing, but it goes much, much deeper, and the reaches that Joseph's story has is much farther than we will ever even notice. Uh, so let's read together. If you have your place in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be verses 1 through 11. If you've got your place there, say, I've got it. Perfect. If you will, please stand for the reading of the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God. Again, we're going to go through verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to this time, God, I ask for your spirit to go forth. God, I ask that your spirit uniquely applies to this message, uh, to the people that are here, God. Father, I am unworthy to, to even bring your word, God, but I'm thankful that your message does not depend on the messenger, God. And Father, I'm thankful for the salvation that you placed on me and in my heart. And God, today, as I bring your word, Father, speak through me and so that your people can hear your gospel. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you are a note taker, or even if you aren't, I want you to write this down. As this thought will permeate through what we look to do today. It's a quote by J.D. Greer that says, Serving is always the proactive posture of the Christian heart. Serving is always the proactive posture of the Christian heart. Think about this. Again, we talked about that serving in church is the starting point, right? Not the finish line. It's serving is the proactive. It's not something that we do as a reactive. It's something that we should always be doing. Something that we should start doing, not something that we should wait to happen, right? So as we go through our time today, remember this quote. And there are three points that I want us to focus in on today. And yes, they are alliterated, so thank you very much. Serving <laughs> looks like sacrifice. Number two is serving looks like suffering. And number three, serving ultimately points us to a Savior. 
So when we look at serving looks like sacrifice, that's the first point. So I want us to look at sacrifice and submission in the same context. All right, this is going to take us verses 1 through 6, just so we'll have a basis point to go off of. If there's any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. And it goes down to verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. He's preaching unity here, right? So whenever we look in, in this, I want us to look at submission in the same uh, way that we look at sacrifice. Now, some of you already understand or turned off because you don't like the word submission. It's not something that we like to say, something not that we like to hear. But listen very carefully. When we sacrifice for someone, we also submit to someone by putting their needs before ours, right? Whenever we sacrifice for someone, we also submit to someone by putting their needs before ours. John Piper comments that there is no other way the world is going to see the supreme glory of Christ today except that we break free from the Disneyland of America and begin to live lifestyles of missionary sacrifice that looks to the world like our treasure is in heaven and not of this earth. So today, church, are we promoting this Disneyland lifestyle? By our service, are we showing the world that our treasure is in heaven or our treasure is in earth? Because whenever our treasure is on earth, we don't submit to people, right? That's not something that we do. That's, that's not something that's inside of us. As, as a matter of fact, we are rebellious beings. In Joseph's story, it starts in chapter 37. He was the youngest child, Jacob's uh, favorite child because he was given to Jacob in Jacob's old age, but he was the youngest child. And in that culture, Joseph would have to have submit to his siblings for many different things. As you can imagine, those of you that have siblings in here, can you imagine submitting to them to, and doing what they told you to do? Most of you is like, absolutely not, right? <laughs> I would never do that. But this would be the culture that Joseph defines himself in. And so I want us to understand that Service must also equal submission as well as sacrifice. And so there's two different types of service that I want us to look at in this point that equals submission, okay? Each other. The first one is each other. Now, I understand that it can be difficult. However, remember what Eric said last week, right? Remember what he said last week. We want to enjoy God's grace, but we want to extend His glory, right? We want to extend His glory by submitting and serving to one another is the very definition of extending glory. It's the very definition of doing it because when I submit to Eric and, and serve Eric, I'm showing Eric the, the God that's inside of me and I'm extending the glory that God's given to me. Right from the first humans we were created, we'd been rebellious and selfish. Right? Look at, think about Adam and Eve. Right? God told them you have everything in the garden but the fruit of this one tree. And what did they do? They rebelled against God from the very beginning. Whenever we look at throughout the Old Testament, Israel, God's chosen people. He said, I'm going to choose you from everybody else. They still remained rebellious. Even after, take for instance, when God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites were able to go uh, through on dry ground and behind them the Egyptians pursued and God crashed the waves down on top of them, killing all the Egyptians, and then God, after that, tells them, go to Canaan. That's your promised land. 
What do they do? They send spies out. Only two of them come back that said we could go. The rest of them said, no, we can't take it. When they just saw a miracle from God, they still questioned him and what he's telling them to do. But you see, let's not think that it's just relegated to the Old Testament. How many times does God show up in our lives and then he tells us to do something and we rebel against him by saying no? We're not going to, I've seen what you've done for me, God, but I really can't, really can't step out on faith and do this. I've seen what you've done for my family. I've seen the relationships that you've restored, but I still can't go. I, I still can't do this. This may happen if I go here or do this. Paul tells us to be unified in this passage. He says, in, again, verse 3, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. This is countercultural in America. Our culture in America tells us it's all about me. It's my wants, my desires, my ambitions, my goals. And yet Paul says that's not the mark of a Christian. That's not what we are called to do. Also notice in verse 1 how Paul starts the passage, in Christ. You see, church, it's only in Christ that you can give up all you have because Christ is everything that you will need. It's only in Christ that you can give up all you have because He is everything you need. Church, it's our desire at Connection Church and our network of churches to be a sending church. That's in our heart. That's in our DNA. But listen very carefully. For some of you, for some of you in here, that means that everything that you've built where you live, everything that you've accomplished where you're at, God's telling you to give it all up to go across the world to tell an unreached people group about the goodness of Jesus. But at the very least, as we've already stated before, at the very least, he's telling you to put on a blue or orange shirt on Sunday so that others can see the gospel from the time they enter the parking lot to the time that they walk out the doors. Everybody is called to serve in one form or fashion. The second one, after we look at each other, the second one is spouses. Submit to each other. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how did you get marriage out of that? Okay, bear with me. All right, follow me here. There is no better example of putting another's interest above your own than in marriage. There's, another, there's not another uh, better example. It's no secret that the enemy is out to tear down the family unit. Because if he can divide the home, then he can divide everywhere else, including the church. The divorce rate, beloved, is 50% in America. Now, I'm from the, the backwoods of Brantley County, but they taught us that that's one out of every two, okay? 50%, one out of every two marriages. But the more staggering statistic, according to a recent Pew Research study uh, back in 2018, that people that claim to be evangelicals, that claim to know Jesus, that claim to know what he did for them, the divorce rate amongst those people group, 70%. J.D. Greer defines Christian marriage as recognizing the unmerited favor God has shown to you in Christ and showing that same type of unmerited favor to your spouse. Unmerited favor, what a concept. God has shown you unmerited favor, so how can we not show that to the very person that he's given us to love and care for for the rest of our lives? 
Now, this is not a marriage sermon, okay, and I get that, but from the foundation of the world, God set up the family unit as a means to show the world his grace, his mercy, and his love. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5. Yes, it's wives. It says submit to your husbands because he is in charge of the direction of the family, but as my wife tells me, she's got the easy part. You know, I think she's right because, guys, that's a strong burden for us to bear. Who had the easier role? Christ or his disciples? And who does he compare the head of the relationship to? Guys, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But for a second, let me change this. And I'm not trying to be a heretic or anything here, but listen as we point it into the service sermon here. Guys, serve your wives as Christ served the church. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, says that the crown that men wear in a relationship must first and foremost be a crown of thorns. Let that seep in a second. The crown that men wear in a relationship must first and foremost be a crown of thorns. Church, the truth is, if we can't serve our spouses or be the men that God has called us to be, we can't serve or lead the church. And the church is only going to be as strong as the men that lead it. As we look at point number two, serving looks like suffering. Serving looks like suffering. Now, as we continue to look at the story of Joseph, Joseph, I'm going to skip over about 13 chapters here and just give you a brief rundown of what happened. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him, but they said, we can't kill him, so they threw him in a pit. And then they decided, well, what's even better is we'll sell him into slavery. So Joseph was sold into slavery, come out of slavery, then was thrown into prison. And that all spanned about 20 years. And so, do we understand, and I want us to, to look at this, that God uses our suffering to bring you and others to himself. Paul in Colossians 1.24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in my suffering. Here's the question Joseph's story should make us ask. What if God uses my suffering to show others the gospel? That's what we do, right? That's what service is. We show others Christ by our service, and so we can come to terms with the fact that God may use us to serve others through our very own suffering. And there's no doubt that there's people here today that are going through something some form of suffering, some form of questioning why this is happening to them, right? And I'm not saying that this is true for all the pain that we go through, but it's certainly a question that we should at least ask ourselves. You see, up until this moment that Joseph had this encounter with his brothers, he felt like the greatest son ever. Everything was going good. He was uh, about 17 when all of this happened. So for all his life that he had known, everything was great. He thought that he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was honoring God, right? Remember, Abraham is his great-grandfather. So we already know that he knows the covenant that God gave to Abraham. So he thinks that he's being faithful to God. He thinks that he's being faithful to his father, to his brothers. 
And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all of this happens where he gets thrown into slavery. And you see, what if God was doing something similar in your pain? Again, I'm not saying for sure that's what's happening, but it could be. Right? Again, in a place like this, somebody is going through some things, but something that you would count as suffering, and you're saying, well, I need to get this right before I can go and serve. You're making, uh, this has got to be right in my life before I can go and say, hey, I'm ready to serve once a month. All of this needs to be fixed. I've got to get this worked out in, in my life. I, I know Jesus, right? We've, we've got that. I know what he did for me on the cross. But there's some things that's going on over here that I need to tidy up and get right before I can go and serve with the church. Listen to what Paul says to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was to me a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not... Uh, exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul puts all of that to the side. He says, you, there's nothing that you need to get right because you should rejoice in this. You need to rejoice in your weakness, in your hardships, in your persecutions, and in your difficulties for the sake of Christ. Because it's when we are weak that he comes into us and makes us strong. What if that problem that you claim to have what if it had been put there by God so you could show someone else how good God really is? What if you serve on our prayer team and, and someone comes up to you and needs prayer for the exact same thing that you're going through? And because you said, yes, now God has brought this person into your life and you can show them the gospel where nobody else could relate to them. God burdens it on their life. They're going through a situation. And because you decided to say, yes, God, in my weakness, I'm still going to serve you. God uniquely places that person in your life that comes to you and you're able to relate to them and speak into their life and tell them about the goodness of Jesus. My own personal story with that is most of you know my wife, Lakin. What you don't know about my wife, Lakin, is that when she and I were dating, the kids' conversation came up. All couples, this is a benchmark for all couples that have, um, uh, you know, that are pursuing marriage. And some of you in here may be engaged or uh, already had that conversation. And the kids' conversation, first you've got to determine whether you want kids or not, right? And then if you do want kids, the question is always, how many? How many? Right, Exactly. <laughs> So most people will say one to three, right? One to three kids. That's a solid American number, one to three. Um, but my wife, when you ask her how many kids she wanted, wasn't three. Wasn't four. I love you, sweetie. Wasn't five. It was eight. My wife told me when we were dating she wanted eight crumb snatchers, okay? <laughs> And I love my wife very, very much. 
The thing is, church, when you ask little girls what they want to be when they grow up, some will say uh, doctors, some will say lawyers. If you ask my daughter, she'll say, I want to be a princess. And she already is. She's daddy's princess, right? But when you ask my wife what she wanted to be, more than anything else in the world, she'd tell you she wanted to be a mom. That's what she wanted. When she was a little girl, from the time you can ask her mom, her dad, from the time she was a little girl, her only desire in life was to be a mother. And so many of you know um, our, some of our backstory that we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and spent about six years up there with a church plant um, up there. And through that time, we were dating, and then we got engaged, and then we were married. And there was about six couples of us that were up there at the same time that all went through these same life phases together. Um, we all got married at the same time. We were in each other's weddings. We still communicate today. But it came time to start having kids. And... You know, one by one, each couple would start to have their own child. And because my wife is extremely gifted at putting patterns and colors and all of that stuff together, they would ask her to do baby showers for them. And then it got to the point where we were ready to have kids as well. I had a stable job and that kind of thing. And um, so we started the process of, of trying to have children. Um, and as our friends were having children... Month after month after month after month, nothing happened. Months turned into a year. Um, a year turned into 18 months. And all along the while, our friends are somehow are having their second child. And they're again having uh, Lakin uh, prepare the baby showers and What's going on inside of her, they don't know because I see it every day. Every day my wife comes home or every month that she comes home, she's on her knees in prayer asking God to give her a child because that's all she's ever wanted. The year turns into two years. And again, she's on her knees. She's crying out to God and tears are streaming down her face. God, I want a child. I've, I've moved my life up here where I've never been before. I'm, I'm, I'm living on mission. I'm discipling women. I'm in your word. I'm praying. And God, you're not giving me the desires of my heart. You tell me that children are a good thing. God, all I want in this world is to be a mom. And, and you're not giving it to me. Why? Why can't I have a child? As the months continue to go by, I'm... I'm a fixer, I'm a man by nature, and there's nothing that I can do other than to hold my wife as she sobs because of her desire to have a child. In March, February of 2018, my wife buys a crib and assembles it and puts it in our room. My wife is not pregnant at this time. She assembles a crib and puts it in our guest bedroom and I go in one day to the house after work and I see her on her knees with her Bible open praying to God as tears are streaming down her face. I'm less than supportive to be honest with you. But my wife doesn't relent. She goes to that room every day on her knees and cries out to God. In February of 2018 she assembled 
that crib together. And in November 26th of 2018, this happened. Larson Lorraine Heron was born. One of the greatest gifts next to my salvation and my wife that God's ever given to me. But you see, the point is to be vulnerable in this moment, to, to understand that this is not just a story that's, that's ours, right? But my wife was able to serve numerous other women who were experiencing the same thing because God took us through this suffering there were people that reached out to her through social media, through just face-to-face -face conversations and say, how are you doing this? How have you been praying for this long and God has not given it to you and, and yet you're continuing to be faithful to him? How are you not bitter inside? How do you not continue just to, just to give up? And time after time, she goes back and she says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how good my God is. And she was able to point these people, some who were believers, she was able to point them back to the cross where he had reached out and, and saved them. And others who were not believers, she was able to point them to the cross and show that this is where my hope comes from. This is why I'm able to continue on. You see, church, what if God in your pain had something for you far beyond, better than even the cure that you seek? Maybe it's not infertility. Maybe a few of you in here, it's your marriage. We had just talked about that. Maybe your marriage is holding on by a thread. Both of you love Jesus and you can't figure out why this is happening. You can't understand why you're fighting all the time. Or why you can't get along. What if God is using this time in your life so that down the road you can be an encouragement or even a witness to the goodness of God. I know a few people in this room very well. One man that's sitting right here in front of me that I count as a dear brother. That God took him through some things that I'm sure in his life he was wondering why. But now on the back end of that, he can point to the goodness of God. Church, understand very clearly that we are God's chosen vessel to reach the nations. And in this sin-sick age, God will use times when you may even question, is He still there to point people to the gospel? For those of you in here that may not be going through anything, first off, count your blessings. But the second question that you must ask yourself is, are you willing to take on wounds so that other people can come to know Christ? Are you willing to say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you need to bring to me so that I can all the more boast, not in myself, but in Jesus and the cross? Are we willing to do that? Because you see, church, sometimes our service, sometimes we say that save people, serve people, sometimes that comes in the midst of our suffering. And we don't even realize what he's doing. He's preparing us for down the road to be able to point back to the cross.
Point number three. Serving ultimately points to a Savior. Serving ultimately points to a Savior. In Genesis chapter 50, I want to read this really quick. In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we had did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before dying, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this peace, present result, to preserve many people alive. You see, up to this point, we've now come to the full circle where all of this has happened in Joseph's life. He's been sold into slavery. He was accused of uh, rape by Potiphar's wife. Who Then he was thrown into jail. Then he started interpreting dreams. And he was elevated through all of that to the right hand of Pharaoh. And now his brothers have come to him because there's a famine in the land. His brothers have, have come to, to beg for food and they realize who Joseph is now. He's the right hand of Pharaoh. They understand that they will probably die, that Joseph is going to kill them, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He says that, am I in God's place? Am I in God's place? You see, in Paul, in our main text, in verses 8 through 11, says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth, and, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, church, at Connection, everything that we do is because of the gospel. Regardless of what it may be, whether we come in here and, and hang these things, or whether we serve in blue or orange, whether we preach. Everything we do is because of the gospel because, frankly, it changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The motivation for serving, if you haven't picked up on it, is already is because the King of glory came to serve us. He was obedient, even to the point of death and the death on a cross. So how does Joseph point us to the gospel? Remember we talked about Eric last week and, and the thread that goes from Genesis all the way through. How does Joseph point us to the gospel? You see, one day, many years in the future, another Savior would come and walk the same path that Joseph walked. He would be betrayed by his brothers and then lied about and falsely condemned. Of course, unlike Joseph, Jesus wasn't just sold into slavery. He was put to death. But like Joseph, he would be raised from that pit to sit on the highest throne of the land. And like Joseph, instead of exacting vengeance from the throne, he would use his exalted position to forgive and save his brothers. 
And like Joseph, he would weep tears of joy when we were reconciled to him. You see, when most people, when we read the word, we want to put ourselves in place of the characters that we're reading. We want to put ourselves in the text. And this is no different than whenever we read Joseph. Many people want to put themselves in the place of Joseph where, where they understand that they've been, uh, everything was going great. Then they were brought through a hardship. But now God's going to uh, exalt them high. But here's the thing, guys. This isn't Joseph. We're not Joseph. Joseph points to Jesus where we are in this text. We're the brothers. We're the brothers that betrayed Joseph. We're the brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. We're the brothers that wanted to kill Joseph. Ultimately, we killed Christ. Because don't think we're any different than the ones that were shouting on that day to crucify him because we would be in that same crowd. Brian Chapel illustrates so very well about an Indian chief in a tribe of Africa. And in this tribe in Africa, the chief had to be the strongest man of the tribe. Had to be the strongest man of the tribe. And, and as a chief, he would be adorned in a beautiful headdress. And one day, a man fell down a deep well that they had. And there were many different people that tried to go down and bring him up out of the well, and they, they couldn't. He tried to bring himself up out of the well, and, and he couldn't. So they went and called the chief. The chief came to the well. He took off his headdress and he sat it down. He climbed down to the well, put the man on his back, and carried him up out of that pit, brought him to safety. You see, church, Jesus did that for us. Jesus went down in the pit. He, he took off his crown. He left heaven. He sat it to the side, came down from the pit that we were in of our sin and our shame and, and picked us up out of the pit because we couldn't get ourselves out. When we look at all of our previous points, it's all about Jesus. You see, he submitted to the Father's will. He came to earth. He lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. He suffered through shame, torture, and ultimately a criminal's cross and paid the ultimate sacrifice that you and I should have paid so that whenever we place our faith and trust in him, he shouts praises forevermore, just as verse, and we are able to shout praises forevermore, just as verse 11 says, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we examine our serving in light of our Savior, one thing we must ask ourselves is does our serving, and not just our serving, but our heart behind our serving, does it point people to Jesus? Because it's not enough just to come in and put on a shirt and serve in a, in, in a place here. We must do it with the heart of generosity of a Savior that came and laid his life down for us. Our motivation must be that and that alone. The story of Joseph points us to the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus was hated for, because he was favored by his father. Jesus was hated by people without a cause. Jesus was the victim of the ultimate act of evil. Yet while he hung on the cross, Jesus declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Jesus has comforted our fears. He has given us his word to assure us that he has forgiven us. And Jesus has treated us with kindness to prove that he truly loves us. Do we understand that? They threw Joseph in a pit, but they hung Jesus on a cross. And he willingly went there for you and for me. As Elvina Hinn penned these words in 1865, they still ring true today. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. For nothing good have I whereby grace to claim. I will wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down all at Jesus' feet and my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Church, we serve because Jesus paid it all. And we serve because all to him we owe. I don't know where you are today. Today's message is about serving, but make no mistake, the gospel is what's most important. Blue team, orange team, production, prayer team. None of that matters if you don't know the man that was nailed to a tree for you. Paul called the gospel the, the thing of first importance. And until you have that saving face that is sola gratia, sola fide, by grace alone, through faith alone, then it doesn't matter. I said at the beginning of this sermon that, that it's always the proactive posture of the Christian's heart. The fact is that the American church is a consumer-driven church and a consumer-driven church is not a Christ-centered church. I feel confident in speaking for the leadership of this church and saying that we desire to be a Christ-centered, a gospel-centered church. Like Eric said last week, we want you to enjoy His grace, but we want you to extend His glory. Most of you are aware, and we are celebrating this tonight that we just launched Connection Church, Richmond Hill. There were a number of our people that uprooted their lives to, to go on mission and live in, on mission in a place that they have never lived before or have never lived on mission before. That's what we want. That's the vision of our church. Our vision is equipping people and sending them out for the sake of the gospel. Raising up people, equipping them, and sending them out. But in turn, because God is using them and because that we have seen God do a mighty work and because we're celebrating that tonight, that's left holes here. It's left holes in the church and frankly, we need the church to be the church. So maybe your next step is to see one of the people that head up one of our serving teams. 
and get with them to, to serve so that you can get signed up and once a month serve so that others can come in and enjoy service and be reminded of the goodness of the gospel. Because as Michael said that he heard a, a pastor said that's all that we're supposed to do. To remind each other of the goodness of the gospel over and over again. There's people along the wall that would love to pray with you if there's something that you need to, to lay down. There's something that you're going through that you need to, to help have somebody pray with you for. There's there and ultimately, if you don't know the man that was nailed to a tree for you, please get that right today. Because nothing else matters if you don't know the Savior that came and bled and died for you. So why do we say that save people, serve people? Because ultimately we desire to be like Joseph. In any circumstance that we see in life, we desire to be a church that points others back to the goodness and the hope of the gospel. So Connection Church, as long as God allows us to fellowship together, may we serve others and one another to show the world around us the hope that we cling to. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. God, and we thank you for your son who paid the ultimate sacrifice and was the ultimate form of servant. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the heart behind this church. God, ultimately, we thank you for the gospel. Father, as we leave here today, may we continue to be a people that are servant-hearted, but not for obligation, Father, but because of what you did for us on a cross. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.